This is being recorded on Saturday, November 13th. All right, everybody. There we go. Mike is much better now. Welcome to another episode of Go With The Flow, episode number 10. As always, I have a very special guest in the building, my friend Pranav. Welcome welcome to the show, Pranav. Thanks for having me, Florin. And so... Pranav is, we've been friends, actually no, I will let you speak, because the way that I always start the episodes is, I ask my guests to introduce themselves, tell me where they're from, stuff they do on campus, and then I also ask them if they remember how we met and they could just speak about that, so if you could just let, let the people know. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my name is Pranav, um, I'm a senior at Princeton, so I'm majoring in mechanical engineering, um, born in New York City, lived in rural Kentucky for a while. And I identify as from Cleveland. That's where I spent the last eight or so years before coming to Princeton. Um, on campus, um, this year I'm the president of the Cottage um, University Club. Um, I'm a member of club soccer. Um, I used to be involved with a bunch of other clubs um, from freshman to junior year. I'm still sort of involved with engineers.borders and also a member of the Princeton Nacho dance team. So this man is one of the most involved people that I've ever met in my life. He is a renaissance man. We were You came up in conversation the other day at Ivy, obviously all great things. Everyone was like, this man does everything, and he does everything so well. So just to recap, dancer, athlete, president of cottage, scholar, and you, you're an artist. Can you tell the people you're an artist? Yeah, I do, I do a bit of um, art. It started incidentally in high school. I, I thought I was taking an engineering design class. It was called Design Fundamentals. I walk in and there's a bunch of paintbrushes outside. So lo and behold, I sort of picked it up, um, got really fond of it, taught me a lot. And I love to do color pencil sketches, a lot of portraits and stuff. Yeah. So basically the man, the man does it all. One of the most talented people that I know. And just first question off the bat, how are you able to, okay, actually no, first question. You mentioned how you are not as involved in some of the other clubs that you were involved with before. I'm also in a similar boat where I did a lot freshman, sophomore year. And at this point, I'm like taking my step back from a lot of things. What, what went into your decision to take a little bit more off your plate? Yeah, I think, I think two things. Um, one, obviously, is the transition. I think it's always good for younger folk to sort of take over, transition the clubs for newer leadership, um, fresh perspectives. Um, but the second was uh, very personal for me. I've always been involved in a lot of clubs from high school to college. My dad always told me I never have enough time for myself. Um, and sort of COVID made me reflect a lot on what I want to do with my time and really understand that every second I have is pretty precious. Um, and so I want to do a lot more of my own independent projects, sort of enjoy senior year and really do some deep thinking on what I want to do after I graduate. And the clubs were sort of, you know, taking up time in that sense. So decided to transition on. Gotcha. And honestly, that is something that I also relate to very much so. I came into this year and I was like, I need to be a little bit more selfish. And when I say selfish, not like fuck everybody else, but <laughs> selfish just in like I used, I was, I think, of involved in a lot of stuff. Anytime someone would ask me to do some, like take on some sort of responsibility, I would always say yes. But coming to this year after, again, losing out on a year and a half of our regular college experience, I was like, okay, I'm going to prioritize fun and making sure my grades stay where they need to be and that's about it as far as extracurriculars go i'll do whatever i feel like i actually want to do but other than that like i don't want to do like this podcast is something that i actually enjoy doing so it doesn't feel like a chore when i'm doing it but everything else it seems like okay i'm like dragging myself out of bed to go do it i was like all those activities i need to drop so right, right. all the all those meetings just try to pile up and it's like you know do what comes from the heart exactly 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 and so um actually quick thing um, one of the things, so this was like 
I don't probably like June of 2020. Mm-hmm. I was just scrolling through Instagram. I see your page, and I see that you built a bench press. And yeah. I, I say that, and it sounds casual, but the video of you doing it was probably one of the most like impressive things that I've ever seen. Could you just talk about, one, how you decided that you wanted to do that and exactly what the process was like. Because if anyone follows me on Instagram, please go find this video. It is the coolest thing. There's so many, like, measurements, all the fucking details that went into it. P- just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, obviously, you know, we're home for COVID. I had a lot more time on my hands. Wasn't doing much. Um, I, I enjoy working out, personally. Um, I really got into it, I think, sophomore year of college. And so when we got kicked off campus, um, didn't have access to a gym, um, and, the, and the club gym was sort of shut down where I lived. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm MAE. Princeton's very theoretical, but it's time I ought to apply it to something. So sort of sat down, did some of the um, measurements basically on stress, fractures, um, fatigue life, um, just making sure that, you know, materials would be able to withstand the loads. And then went to Home Depot. Home Depot is my favorite spot. You know, it's from my house. And bought some cement, bought some, some metal bars and some wood and made it happen. You say that so casually, like it's like it's something anybody else could have done. But please, people find this video. The amount of you have like this chalkboard, not chalkboard, a whiteboard of all the calculations that you did. It looked it took me back to physics. It gave me like flashbacks <laughs> of physics and everything that I hated. But it's so impressive to see. It's like, and I always say this. I feel like some people are get like you, they're getting a lot more out of their education than I am. Like what you did, like I, I could so. I, I could never do that if I tried. Yeah, I mean, uh I, I always like to put things together with my hands. I think I've been doing that since high school. So I, I think a lot of it, you know, the, the math, the physics, that stuff's on the side. I think there's a lot of people out there who can just get an intuition and just build stuff without the Princeton education. So I don't really know if it necessarily comes from Princeton. but. Um, and you said you've been doing a lot of self-reflection about what you want to do going forward. Do you see yourself doing some sort of engineering going forward? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I've, I've always been pretty conflicted on what exactly I want to do. I think it felt like a big question that I need to know the exact answer to. Now I'm sort of in a spot where I, I'm more comfortable just taking risks, taking chances, and not having life mapped out, um, which I, th- I think is healthier. But I think I want to do some sort of techie engineering job for three, five years out of college um, and then see, you know, see how I feel after that. Fair enough. And again, as I always say on this podcast, most of us do end up in finance, tech, and consulting, <laughs> and that's okay. Go lay that foundation and then go do go do whatever right. else you want to do. You want to do after, and then real quick. And so, two of the things that we're going to get into more, like you said, President Cottage, we're going to get into that down the line. Um, and then there's this also this is again. I keep going back to your Instagram. Love your Instagram. Yeah, let you guys <laughs> be a big fan of my Instagram. I am. No, no, no. I I was like, okay, I asked you on, I asked you to be on the show. I'm like, because ever, ever okay. Good point. People always ask me what my process is about, like, getting ready for the episodes. When I figure out who I want to get on the show, I always try to tailor questions to them. And a good place to start is, like, Instagram. Yeah. So I went on your Instagram, and then that's that's kind of where where I kind of got a lot of the material for the, for the <laughs> episode for. I did, I did. I like to do my research, exactly. It's just uh, I have to be involved. I don't want to just, like, show up and just, like, try to have a conversation. I actually have to do a little bit of preparation <laughs> before I go into it. But, yes. Back to your Instagram, you had this one post about identity, which I loved so much, and which we're going to dive into a lot more in a few minutes. But before that, did you see the email that was sent about people flushing masks down the toilet? Man, that that was ridiculous. I saw that, and I was just shocked. It's like we go to Princeton, and some of the things that you see happen here, I'm always like, 
we're supposed to like have some of the brightest minds in the country uh, allegedly. allegedly you you would think that people would know not to flush mass down the toilet <laughs> i don't know with brilliance comes a little bit of weirdness too i think that in that honestly it took me back i don't know if you know this but freshman year i lived in holder and we had like a holder pooper oh i remember that i remember that email yeah, yeah we had someone pooping places that weren't the bathroom and we had to have a community meeting i remember it was when we came back from thanksgiving to address this and this just takes me back to that moment where it's like we're we're some people who are supposed to be like the future leaders of this country but you have people you know, flushing you think about it you put a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds living together you're gonna get some crazy shit that happens exactly and yeah it's so i just have to mention that whoever's flushing mess down the toilet stop it i don't know why you're doing that it's a little bit insane and that's that that's kind of all i had to say about that but now to this to this instagram caption do you remember um do you remember the general idea of the caption? I have it up, and I'm going to read a part of it, but do you remember generally what, what it was about? Yeah, yeah, pretty vividly. I mean, um, identity is something I've always struggled with, um, so I think I really sort of talked about the, the benefits from my Western upbringing, the benefits from my sort of um, Indian heritage, and how those both help me become better, but also provide a source of conflict in my life. Yeah, exactly. And so you posted this after what I think. I mean, in the caption it says you go to India every year, but what was it about this one trip that led you to make this post? Which again, I'm going to read in a, in a sec. Yeah. So, so my family's always been pretty good about keeping me and my older brothers, two years older, um, you know, in touch with our heritage, our roots, and um, our grandparents live there. So we have a we have a strong reason to go back every year. But this time, this was December of 2019, I believe. Um, we took a tour of North India. Every time we go, we stay in Bangalore, which is a city in the south, um, in Karnataka, the state, and we just sit in our grandparents' house, you know, hang out with them all day, see cousins. It's fun. It's a good time, but we don't really get to see India and, you know, sort of understand the history behind it. So this time we took a tour of, uh, I want to say, six or seven different cities in the north, um, and it, it really just sort of opened my eyes to appreciate the depth and richness of the culture that I hadn't seen before. The reason that this post really stuck with me was because I think I had, I, I don't think, I know, I had a very similar experience. So I was born in Nigeria, moved to America when I was nine years old. And so I, when you, at nine years old, you're, I was, I was, nine is pretty young. Yeah. You really don't know much about anything. It's just like you're moving. It's like, okay, what's going on here? But then I've been back three times since we moved. And the most recent time was after my junior year of high school. And I also had a very similar, like, okay, I'm 18 or 17, however old at the time, a little bit more aware, a little bit more mature, a little bit able to to take in things and actually have, like, a more advanced perspective on life and being able to appreciate the difference in the lifestyle that I'm able to have here versus, although, we again, we had a very comfortable life in Nigeria, but being able to appreciate just the 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 vast amount like of opportunities and stuff that i was able to that i'm able to have being in america i think that trip was where i was able to okay finally realize that i need to first of all be appreciative of my parents for a lot of the sacrifices that they've made for us to being able to move our family halfway across the world drop everything and just like do this so we could get a better life but also being able to I wanted to embrace the culture a lot more because I, th- I don't know what things were like for you, but one thing for me, when I moved from Nigeria to, I, I lived in North Carolina first for two years. For me, it was about, I was nine years old, fourth grade. It was about just like trying to adjust as fast as possible. And for me, what adjusting meant was like, okay, I'm just going to like assimilate and just do what every, 
Yeah. Do what everybody else is doing. So you did. You had a culture shock. One thousand percent had a culture shock. For, and this is actually what I wrote my college essay about my Princeton essay, my my Common App. But it was moving from again, everyone looks like you to being the vast minority. That was definitely a shock for me. So could you just speak a little bit? So you said you grew up in um, Cleveland, right? So so actually, I mean, it's interesting. So I most of my my childhood, my early days was in. Rural Kentucky. It's it's this spot that no one's heard of called Corbin. Well, I didn't even know you live in Kentucky. Yes, yeah, so I went. I went to a Catholic school. I read the Bible every day, and um, there were there were not a lot of people of color around. So I, I was the only pe- person of color in my class um, for all those five years. And we had we had a tight knit you know community of um, Indian physicians. Both my parents are physicians, and that's why they moved there. They're on a J one visa. Um, and so when I came to Cleveland, I was exposed to just uh, you know a huge diversity of people i was thankful enough that our suburb is extremely diverse um and i i actually had a culture shock there it was it was indians day the baseball team we were in the world series and my mom gets an email saying it's a uh, dress up for indians day no she <laughs> sends me to school and this is in third grade she sends me to school in fully decked out traditional indian clothes I show up to first period. Everyone's wearing baseball jerseys, and they're like, "What are you wearing?" Kid? I was so embarrassed. That it was hilarious. But yeah, it was it was definitely it was definitely um, difficult of sorts navigating both the the sort of isolated upbringing. Um, even though we were an all white community, it was very it was very isolated. We spent time mostly with our family friends who were all Indian. Gotcha. Um, and then coming to Cleveland, sort of you know experiencing traditional American life, if you will. Gotcha. And so finally, to this caption that I've kept hinting at this whole time, but I'm finally good. I've been teasing it the whole time, but I'm going to read read parts of it right now. And this is from January 5th of 2020. If anyone follows him, go read it. Great caption. Um, And so it says, living my childhood of actually, do you want to read it or is that weird? Do you want me to read it? Do you want to read it? You got it. Living my childhood of Amar. I can't pronounce that. That's why I cut this. Those those are it's a comic. Yeah. Okay, Stories in the Flesh has been a, has been a surreal experience. The cultural richness and history that India has to offer is eye-opening. Yet, it is this very culture that clashes with my largely Western-centric upbringing, upbringing and threatens in many ways to rip asunder my own conception of identity, be it religious, cultural, or philosophical. As if I'm Jekyll or Hyde, forming a valuable combined identity has provided me much grief, growth, and challenge over the last 19 years. Could you speak to either one of those buckets and how that journey has been for you? Yeah, yeah. Let me talk about the grief first. Um, so, so I think it's easiest to illustrate with an example. So in our culture, um, nobody drinks in our family. No one you know, has consumed alcohol. My, my dad maybe has you know, one glass of wine every five years at a dinner party, but my grandparents never you know, touched it, thought about it, etc. Um, and so that that's sort of a, I would say, a cultural thing that comes from, you know, largely South India, I think more than North India, um, and in particular Brahmin families of which we're part of. And so, you know, coming to college where drinking is obviously pretty prevalent, um, that that was really something that my parents struggled with and that I struggled with telling them. Um, and so that that really provided a lot of you know grief on the family side. Um, but in terms of, you know, growth, I, I think my, my culture has you know, taught me a lot of valuable lessons. I'm not personally religious, um, but taught me a lot about sort of, you know, how to treat others, treating others with kindness. And, and there's this particular thing, you know, I, I think those are sort of general things, but particular, um, the idea of hospitality, 
is extremely, extremely prevalent in South Indian culture. And so if you go to anyone's house for the first time, you can't go empty-handed. You bring some with them. If you're meeting someone the first time, you bring some with them. And so someone's coming to your house, you're giving them, you know, tea, coffee. You're sort of being perhaps a little, you know, borderline overbearing. But but those ideas of kindness and how to treat others, I think, has provided much, you know, growth and how I can translate that into a Western culture, which everyone, um, again, you know, pardon me for generalizing, but seems a little more focused on, like, themselves, you know, being efficient, you know, getting ahead in life, um, a lot more fast-paced. And so, you know, those are two you know, perhaps small, but just illustrative examples of the grief and the growth. Yeah. And even on the, the growth aspect of things, I think that's another part of also Nigerian culture that I'm also very glad that I have is this, the amount of like respect that you have for people, not just elders, especially that's very overly emphasized. Whoever, like you respect your elders, even if you don't know who they are, that's you, you treat everybody with respect. And I think that's something that's been really helpful for me to translate over here because I remember coming to America and then just seeing whether it be like some of my friends or just out in public seeing the way that some people might feel be pretty disrespectful to whether it be teachers or their parents that was something that was just very shocking and eye-opening for me and if if it wasn't for my background and my upbringing I don't know if I would have had that same sort of like appreciation for just treating people who have been around a lot longer than you and who have some sort of wisdom to impart on you, just making sure that you're treating them accordingly. So there was just a lot of, yeah, there were many different, different culture shocks. I remember like you see your friends like cursing at their parents. I'm like, if (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, I could, I could, I could not even imagine trying to utter a curse word (laughs) around my parents. Things are just, things are just generally different. Um, But okay, I will uh, continue on a little bit. Actually, no, I'll just jump to the last paragraph, which for me was probably my favorite part of it. It says, picking the best of both worlds seems like an obvious solution, but as a lived practice, it is not clearly delineated and for me has certainly has certainly never proven easy. Ultimately, it is a journey of self-discovery that is a continual work in progress. Nonetheless, I can now safely say I am proud to be an Indian American. And so, would you say that before this specific trip, you weren't necessarily proud of who you were? The trip was a turning point. Um, uh, I don't know if it was, you know, such a clear line as to say, you know, I'm not proud to be an American, but it certainly made me a lot more proud, and I think more importantly, maybe confident in saying that. Um, And and so, you know, to give you an example again, because I I think picture, example, a story is worth a thousand words, so to speak. Um, When I was going to school between, you know, fourth grade and eighth grade, my mom would pack me Indian food. So she'd cook every day. She'd pack me Indian food in the morning. I was extremely embarrassed to eat at lunch. I was surrounded by mostly my soccer friends who were white, Jewish, um, from Solon suburbs. And I was, you know, really embarrassed there, you know, if they would say, oh, does it smell? Does it taste funny? You know, and and I I, I had those reservations, um, perhaps wrongly, but I, I was really embarrassed to eat it. And some days I just, you know, wouldn't really would eat it under the table or wouldn't really, you know, be proud of bringing it, um, would buy a peanut butter jelly sandwich instead. And so, so those were things that sort of, you know, afflict, afflicted me personally, the fact that I wasn't proud of my culture. Um, and so I, I think it took me a while to really settle in and say, no, this is sick. Like this, this food is way tastier than, than this <laughs> bland American food, you know, <laughs> got 10 different spices everywhere. And, and so that, that's, that's a little example of, me, me saying that, that I'm proud of my culture. And everything that you say, I'm like, we literally have like <laughs> such similar experiences, but again, Nigerian American yeah. versus Indian American, because also very similar, whether it be food, is, I think is a big one for a lot of people who are from whatever other country. 
you see everybody else and they have their little Lunchables packs. I remember because everybody else had Lunchables and my mom, very similar to you, would like pack me lunch. And I'm like, I don't want to eat this Nigerian food because it's different than what everybody else has. I want to be like everybody else. I want to fit in. And Lunchables were like the thing. And I remember like my mom finally like bought me Lunchables and I was like so excited to finally be eating what everybody else ate. But again, Lunchables, bland as fuck. Yeah. Most, <laughs> most American, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I put cheese, my ham, and my biscuit and eat it. Like, oh, yeah, and it, it does it does not taste good. And exactly like you said, we are from places that are so culturally rich. And the fact that when I think it's especially because we're young um, and when you're young, people are mean and you just want to like fit in and you don't want to be bullied or anything. And so you do as much as you can just to fit in with everybody else. And then you grow up a little bit and then you realize I actually there's nothing good about being like everybody else. You want to be your own unique person and you want to have a certain culture, which I mean, okay, I'm no whatever i i would like to think some places are more culturally rich than others <laughs> <laughs> and we might be from those places and so it makes a lot of sense for us to to embrace that and i, I think i mean one one other thing for me was just being vegetarian meant i, I could eat a lot of the lunch foods so i you know i'd go to the line and be like oh i like, can't eat this today get some french fries instead so, so it wasn't really like uh that was also one of the prohibitive factors that I felt sort of distanced me from others. And then for you, this is something that I know is um, an issue for a lot of people who move from whatever African country and then they move to America where it's like you, after you've lived in America for a little bit, you, and you didn't live in, you didn't like right, haven't right, fully right. lived in India. Yeah. But f- there's this thing where it's like, oh, you are not Nigerian enough for Nigerians, but you're also not American enough for Americans. Is that sort of conflict also there for you at all or no? Yeah, that was definitely something that, that I navigated. Um, so when I, so I speak um, two languages from the South. My, my dad's side speaks a language called Tamil. My mom's side speaks a language called Kannada. We go there, we speak, you know, you know, mix of both depending on what side of the family. And so I would always get a lot of comments about like, oh, it's really good, but you speak with an American accent. And, so, you know, obviously that's going to come. But uh, def- definitely struggled with my cousins a little bit to make it feel like I was, you know, Indian enough and that they could, you know, tell me things and I could relate to them. That was definitely something that I also experienced. What do you think is the reason that people are so, are so like hell bent on trying to identify who you are as a person and try to tell you what you are and what you, and what you aren't? What do you think that, that the, the reason for that is? I might be a little scientific here, but <laughs> I think a lot of it comes from evolution. I think humans have a innate desire to categorize people and hence identify danger and non-danger as we, you know, evolved and wanted to survive in the jungles and you know, in the forest, etc. So I think really labeling people helps humans make judgments about who's safe, who's not. Um, you know, they want to find people who are like-minded, look similar, you know, on a superficial level. And I think that's honestly an evolutionary byproduct honestly i like that answer and it is interesting that 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 does make sense where it's sort of like a comfort thing but at the same time when people do that they don't realize how it might make someone else feel like an other because i'm someone who and this was probably like the most prevalent probably like eighth grade to like sophomore year of high school where it's truly feeling like okay you are not necessarily like accepted by say like 
you're like the the black community right. here, but at the same time, you're also not accepted by other Nigerians, and so you're just left feeling like, where do I even belong at this point? And for me, I don't. It's it it, it is kind of frustrating when you look back on it because this only stems from everybody else trying to identify, like categorize who you are, and nobody lets you just grow and be an individual. And so, I don't even know when I was able to come to this sort of realization, but at a certain point, I was like, I don't even care. If I don't fit in with either either group, I realize like who I am as a person, and that's all I can be is myself and grow. And I'm a combination of both my identities. And if neither side is enough for anybody, like I don't really care at this point because they're like, yeah. and it's and it, I'm getting annoyed just like thinking about <laughs> it because there's so many people who so many kids go through this where everybody else tries to define them. They tell them they're not this enough, they're not that enough, and that just leads to some sort of self conflict. Right. Whereas people just need to be allowed the space to grow and become who they are. So would you say that you've been able to have some sort of self-realization also to just be very fully confident in who you are? Yeah, I mean, your, your story almost directly parallels mine. Between, you know, 8th and I would say end of 10th grade, I was so conflicted on because I didn't fit in the group of Indians. Uh, I, I played soccer all my life, and I know you played soccer too, and so that was mostly a white crowd um, who I was, I was close with, but I didn't, you know, fit in with everything. And so... I didn't fit in necessarily with either group, and it took me until 11th grade, and I was like, you know what? Screw this. I don't I don't need to feel like I'm, you know, part of this group. Like, people appreciate me for who I am, and the fact is that it's a mix of, you know, two different identities, two different cultures. Like, there's value in that, so, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, even just this, like, the whole, like, dual identity thing, there's, like, this this need to place people, like, right at the center. Like, you need to be perfectly half Nigerian, half American, half Indian, half American. But at the end of the day, like each individual has their own balance of whatever the, you have your, you, you might lean one way. You might embrace both. You might embrace one. You might embrace either. You might I, embrace both at times. Both at times. Exactly. And that's kind of like you were saying in the caption, it was like, Oh, like the, the best of like picking the better of each world, like something along those lines. And I'm not any, I'm not someone who's going to judge the way anybody tries to like live their life in the way that they want to identify. Like life is hard. Let people do whatever they need to to feel better about themselves and feel confident. And I just hope that, and honestly, this is a problem that's never going to go away as long as people who are par parts of different cultures and have different identities. Kids will always be mean and have them like try to pick one side, and this is always going to be an issue. But I don't know. I just hope that everyone is able to have that sort of self-realization sooner rather than later and not have to feel so conflicted about themselves due to the type of pressures that everybody else is is putting on them right yeah i mean it's, it's definitely tough you know as a child i, I think I, I i tend to look back and make things a little rosier so i think it offered me a lot of challenges which helped me grow into who i am today so i'm, I'm thankful for it in retrospect but i i agree i really hope fewer kids have to sort of go through that and i think it ultimately comes down to kindness sort of being able to understand that people are different and that's what makes them beautiful beautifully said no one yeah. <laughs> so pre so presidential so well said he's yeah one last question on this thread what are you most thankful for about your two not I, and i hate saying two identities what are you most thankful for about the fact that you are from your family's from India, but you've also grown up in America. Like, what are you most thankful for about being able to combine those identities? Yeah, so I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, partly because um, one of my really close friends is, you know, she was born in Egypt, but came to America. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of similarities, I think, are shared in um, 
uh, I hate to say like Eastern and Western, but just sort of, you know, more Oriental cultures. Um, and the idea of sort of like respect, like you brought up, the idea of, you know, kindness and empathy that you brought up, and the idea of family. Um, I think those are three huge takeaways um, from my Indian upbringing and in large parts, you know, the way my parents raised me. Um, and from growing up in America, I think the idea of, you know, individuality and entrepreneurship, the, the thought that anyone can do anything is so powerful here. Um, the idea that, you know, people should be like time efficient, should be sort of punctual, like that, that's missing in those cultures. I, I think that's something that was ingrained in me here. Um, and, and finally, like, sort of a, a passion for nationality, which, which obviously is present there, but it's so, it's so fierce here. Like the, the belief in free speech, the belief in liberty, I think that's something that, that I really love. Um, and so those are sort of three from each that I can think of. And again, very, very again, and that's one thing I like about you. You're, you're well thought out. I, I, I can see that you've thought about this before because I'm very similar in that like sometimes I just like sit down and I reflect. I'm like, okay, being from Nigeria, living in America the last 11 years, how has that led me to be who I am right now? And I can see that if would have you also like you sit yeah, down and you yeah. think about it sometimes and try to just like self reflect and think about just think about life. It's generally. important. Yeah, yeah. It's important to find that time for yourself. Yeah, gotcha. And speaking of spending time for yourself, that is gonna help us transition into the next thing that I want us to talk to you about. So, like you mentioned, you are the president of Cottage. Um and so just generally how would you describe that experience so far? Yeah, it's been great. Um I, I think um, I've been able to meet so many new people, uh, awesome, pretty interesting individuals as a byproduct of being president. Also just been able to hopefully provide them, you know, a fun and interesting college experience. Gotcha. And when I heard that you won presidency, I was this, that was probably the least surprising thing that I've ever heard. One of the most likable guys, one of the nicest guys that I've ever met. Like I said, does it all, finds time for everyone. How many times on average would you say, how many times a day on average will you say that you get hit up for list spots and how many times is that person me? <laughs> the former question. <laughs> uh, nah, um, I, I always got spots for my good friends. Yes, but. sir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there are obviously like, you know, things that come up every day. I'd say on average is about like one to two hours of just random work that sort of comes up um, for Cottage and just... Yeah, it's hard. It's that's hard making a mansion run, but on top of that, a mansion that's an eating club and a social club. Um, but it, it's not. It's not too bad, and nothing outside the bounds of what was you know expected and the responsibilities. Gotcha. And you feel like you're able to adequately handle it all, and it doesn't feel like too much of a burden at times. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely times where it's like, ah, oh, man, got to deal with this, got to deal with that. Some of it's pretty heavy stuff, but I have a really, really solid cast of supporting officers, um, and together we're able to achieve a lot as a team. As much as you can speak of, you said it's like an hour or two of responsibilities a day. And honestly, I don't even, I need to ask Miles this also. I don't know what any of the presidents do. Or are, the, the only role that I fully understand is like social chair. They make yeah. the social <laughs> calendar and the social activities. Treasurer, they handle the funds. Ask the president. And I actually, I think I, either I asked Ice Gruber this or I wanted to. I'm like, as a president, what do you even do? Yeah. So, <laughs> now, as a president, what do you do as much as you can speak on? <laughs> nebulous jack of all jobs. <laughs> the, the responsibilities roster doesn't really you know do it justice but but i think and a lot of it a lot of it isn't you know you know the the, the glorified important work it's even like you know validating meal exchanges is something that i have to do 
fixing this meal scanner for that was broken for five weeks was something I had to do. You know, obviously you have, you know, the grad board meetings, um, you know, the meetings with staff, the meetings um, with the general manager, Abby Gaynor, the meetings with the ICC. Um, but otherwise, just like handling little things, I'll come to the club, even if it's like, where are the pool cues, you know, or can we get this game? Can we organize a trivia night? Can we do X, Y, Z? Um, you know, and then obviously there's the important stuff that comes up, like, you know, members being treated well, um, things coming up, um, incidents, uh, those, those sort of items, which are obviously, you know, treated with the gravity they deserve. But uh, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of random little tasks that come up, I would say, on a day-to-day basis. Does it ever get overwhelming? Um, thankfully, not so far. Um, like I said, the officers that I'm working with, you know, Raneem, Zizi, um, Ford, and Jack, um, they're the other four officers at Cottage are great. And so if anything comes up, we handle as a team. It's a shared responsibility. So it's been manageable so far. Do you feel like you always have to make yourself readily available for people? A little bit, but I, I also think that's part of my nature and part of the reason that I ran. Um, I, I like helping people. I like being available. Um, I like making everyone feel welcome, happy, comfortable. Um, and I think a lot of that does come down to sort of, you know, demeanor, how accessible are you, how much time are you spending in the club. Um, but So that's not really something that's like a chore for me. That's something that's fun. And how are you able to find time for yourself? Because for me, the, the when you real like the eating clubs are, you live there, obviously. But it's also a space that's open to all members at all times of the day and are always welcome to be in the buildings across all the clubs. So how are you able to find time for yourself? Yeah, funny enough, the first, I want to say, three or four weeks at Princeton, I spent way too much time just, you know, talking to members, playing pool most of it. You know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be candid. A lot of time went into playing pool. And I was like, man, I'm not getting any of my work done. Um, I've never been like this before. You know, freshman, sophomore year, last year because of COVID, super efficient. Um, and so I started scheduling meetings with myself in the afternoon. I love that. I need to do that. I love that. <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it, wasn't my, it wasn't my tip, but we, I was in my EGR class. We had a guest speaker, and someone asked him the exact same question you asked me. You know, how do you find time for yourself? And he said, best thing I've ever done is I started scheduling meetings with myself. And I did the same thing, and it's, it's been honestly game-changing. I'll go to my room. I'll say, you know, I got a meeting with myself. Someone asked me to do something. I say, no, I have a meeting. Aha. Uh-huh. I love that. So, wow. The way I'm about to go schedule so much time <laughs> yeah. with myself after this, I love that. Because I don't know if you also relate to this, but for me, I I think it's just like the Princeton mindset. But whenever I'm not doing work, mm-hmm. I always feel like I should be. Yeah. And so even when I have like an extended period of time where I should be able to just like chill the whole time at the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I should be doing work right now. And so I don't, it's say I have like a two hour break where I can like, honestly, like watch TV for two hours. If I have that time, I, because of like my mindset, I'm not able to just like fully relax and decompress. And the whole time at the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I should be doing something right now. And then those two hours will go by and I'm not like as relaxed as I, uh, relaxed as much as I should have. And then it's time to actually do work. It's like, oh fuck, now I'm yeah. back into things. I think, yeah, Princeton's very go, go, go. Um, and I think I used to be that way until junior year. I think COVID really made me slow down, see that I, sh- you know, I was living in a house with nine people. It's like, this isn't really college. Like, I'm, like, living. And so I really sort of found time to do, I, I painted a huge dye table. 
I'm still not done yet. So if anyone from the house is listening to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> Send this to all of them so they all yeah. listen. <laughs> but um, the the other thing was was I read this was you know start of senior year that like Thomas Jefferson, Albert Einstein, a lot of these really brilliant minds, they would work for focus periods of you know ninety minutes, two hours at a time, and then take a break and then sort of do maybe three of those periods a day. So they're doing a maximum about you know five six hours of work a day, but they found that that was what was most productive for um, just like high intensity, really sort of, I mean, a lot of them game changing work, but I, I, I try to emulate that. So I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, decompress in the afternoons. If I have a class, I'm going to take 30 minutes off and it's going to be 30 minutes purely to myself. Like I'm going to take it off, do what I want. So I'm trying to incorporate that. Obviously it's a bit of a struggle at Princeton where everything is like you said, go, go, go. But um, that's something I'm trying to work on too. I love that. And <sighs> I'm like giddy right now about that, about, ske- <laughs> about so scheduling excited, time yeah. for myself. I'm like, right this is, and, then, and then also being able to say, oh, I have a meeting. And again, no one asks like, oh, what's the meeting? So right. like, you'll never have to explain what that is. Although now you've given away your little yeah, secret. Yeah. So, But honestly, this is something every single person on this campus should do. There is no reason we need to be working so much. I was talking to this girl the other day who's like, I pull like two or three all-nighters a week. I'm like, first of all, stop it. Yeah. No, Have you ever put all-nighter? Not for... College work. I, I did for Science Olympiad in high school. Okay. I was, and I the only times I've ever pulled all-nighters have been playing video games, <laughs> which that is how it should be. Like, I don't think there is, yes, Princeton's hard. There is zero reason that you need to be up the whole night doing any type of assignment. Either your time management is trash or you need to be in less classes. I don't know. But <laughs> all-nighters are not the answer. Scheduling time for yourself is fully the answer. So everyone listening, stop listening. No, don't stop listening. As you are listening, go to your calendars and just put time on for yourself. 30 minutes to an hour every day. Watch your favorite TV show, hang out, listen to music, just chill. Because, again, things get stressful. And when you feel like you're in that mindset of you always have to go, 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 things get difficult. Because, again, for me, I my most challenging some year by far was freshman year. And I think ever since then, I've that's been, like, the benchmark of, like, the amount of work that I need to do. So even last year during COVID when I didn't have that much to do, and even especially this year when I really don't have that much to do, I am always, like... I'm not working as hard as I was that year. Like, what's going on? I need to be doing more, more, more. Whereas, like, my schedule is just objectively easier. And so I should just be able to just, like, relax. But I don't let myself do that. You're doing cool things, like the podcast, right? You're you're doing things you actually care about. Yeah. Which which is important, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And... uh, I, can't, I don't know how we got there, but I love when we're able to just go off on tangents into different into different rabbit holes. Um, but, okay, bringing it back to being president of Cottage, um, what would you say – Bicker's coming up kind of – not soon. It's, it's a long way away, but p- people are starting different pre-Bicker events. What is your pitch about why anybody should join Cottage? Yeah. Um, so I, I wasn't sure that I was going to join, honestly. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of the talk about, you know, there aren't enough PFC, Cottage is diverse enough sort of, um, you know, phased me at start, and I went to this pre-Baker event, which was just for POC, and I was shocked. It was, like, 20% of Cottage um, that were POC, and they were so welcoming, so nice, and I was like, hmm, maybe it's, you know, just just that subcommittee, and then after, after joining Cottage, the one thing that I will say stands out to me is just how welcoming and nice everyone is. You will not find a place in which people are more hospitable more open and more willing to hear your story and hear who you are. Um, sorry, Flo, I've, I've been to Ivy. <laughs> I've, been, I've been to TI. Um, uh, I've been to CAP. 
I just genuinely do think that cottage folk are so outgoing and nice. And if you enjoy social situations, you enjoy talking to people, um, and you enjoy having interesting conversations, I think cottage is the place for you. Um, I, I also, I just don't believe that cottage is not a diverse place anymore. Um, we we are six percent athlete, but but for me that was that was a selling point. I wanted to interact with this community that I never got to interact with freshman, sophomore, junior. Or sorry, I mean I guess I got in sophomore year, but junior year we were you know virtual. But so basically freshman, sophomore year never got to interact with. Um, obviously they're busy with practices. They're more sort of in their teams and. I found some of my best friends that are on teams. Um, so that was a selling point for me. And finally, I think, like, you know, the, the queer community in cottage has grown exponentially. The POC community in college is, like, 30%. The number of low-income folk in cottage is also at, like, 30%. Like, it, these, those are numbers that sort of are obscured away um, because of the reputation that cottage gets. And it's easy to sort of, you know, paint over one sort of generalization and stick with it. But... Um, you know, you don't have to take my word for it. You can come in. You can experience it yourself. We're open. Um, shoot me a text. My number is 4403 Whoa, man, put his it. number out there. <laughs> you want to check out Cottage. But uh, I really do think it's, it's one of the most welcoming places on campus, and I'm happy to call it home. And, again, I'm, I love that. And you said, obviously, I think every single one of us loves our clubs. I, for the mic, I don't know. I'll speak for myself. I love Ivy. Yeah. You love Cottage. I Again, don't take any offense. You mean like it's the most welcoming place. Right, right. I think every single one of us should feel that way about the clubs that we're in. And if you're not in that, or if you don't feel that way, you really shouldn't be in them. Yeah. And I, and I still, I still want to get someone on here who's like anti eating club to really get into why they don't love it as much. Because I do think it, everything, every system has their flaws. Yeah. I think it, it for what it is, like it's a system that I think works well enough. And I talked about this way back with Jaylani on episode one. Well, long time ago. Um, and there are, again, it, things have their faults and they have their flaws. But I think you are able to build a strong sense of community. I don't think they are, again, as exclusive as people would like to say. Everyone has, every club has their reputation. We, Ivy also has its own reputation for being whatever, whatever. And it was, again, very refreshing to see that from the outside looking in, couldn't be further from reality from what things are like on the inside and again i'm speaking for myself whoever else feels differently everyone's entitled to their own opinions but again it's the same thing where it's like there's these these different stereotypes you have to try to shake and you meet people i've literally i <laughs> i was i was at canon the other day and this was like two weeks ago and i was talking to this guy and he was like i've never been to ivy it kind of scares me and then we like this was like at the end of our conversation or like at, after we've been talking like for, for like however long. And he's like, you're the first person that I've met in Ivy. And like now, like, you know, <laughs> Ivy might not be that bad. I'm yeah, like, good, exactly. please come eat at Ivy. See yeah, how regular right. people are. Right. It really isn't that scary. But yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of the sort of, the, I don't want to say myths, but sort of the reputations people have are enough of a gateway to keep people out, uh, which is sad. And so, you know, it takes a lot of slow, gradual work to change that. But, but, I'm hopeful that a lot of the in clubs are moving in a positive direction overall. And I think they really have. Because even for Cottage especially, I remember my... I mean, at this point now, I have a lot more friends in the club. Yeah. So, again, it feels different when I walk in. But my first experience at Cottage was freshman year. I walked in, and I was the only non-white person oh, yeah. there. No, me too. And, I was, and then I didn't go back until this year. Because yeah. I have friends in there now. But I see how, like, there might be that impression of, like, okay, this place isn't as welcoming. But, and that is so much more scary when you first you don't really know anyone in there and then no one might look like you. But I will say, and kind of like you were just talking about, a lot of work has been done and it's a continuous journey and nowhere's perfect, but we're all 
on that path to making everywhere as as welcoming as possible. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, going into Bicker, everyone, don't don't limit yourself. Just put yourself out there. You're going to meet new people. You're going to meet cool people, and you'll get the most out of Princeton, I believe, by putting yourself out there a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Don't be, you know, don't be afraid to take risks. Same sort of thing. You know, there's no downside of failing, really. Um, even the people who didn't get into eating clubs were happy. So I, I really think that there's no such thing as a wrong path. Um, the only thing you can do wrong is not taking that risk in the first place. Exactly. Um, and now this is a new segment that I'm doing for the first time ever on Go With The Flow. Woohoo, a new segment alert. <laughs> and so just inspired by that caption that i read from yours i'm going to read different captions from your instagram and i want to see if you can say what the picture was i'll start with i think should be an easy one happy first day of 17th grade so that's that's my brother starting med school um that was pretty recent yeah nice okay next one scaling the heights so we did a we did a bro trip um me and Four of four other of my really close friends, and I think that's me climbing El Capitan, like you know, fake climbing. Fake climbing, yes. This is good. I I want someone to do this for me too. I wonder if I know what my captions yeah. are. Um, next one says, no, I can't even pronounce that. Martian landscapes. So that that's in Idaho. That's uh, Bennett and Baskin peeing. All right, and last one: improvise, adapt, overcome. I was, I was Santa Barbara, California. Um, so we were there with like thirteen other guys, and I think the house was the house was you know really run down. <laughs> we made a outdoor shower fountain. So that's it's probably me with you know the surfboard with the beach with a bunch of friends, and then the last picture is Baskin taking a shower in the outdoor shower. This wow. I wonder if everyone is at that like tuned into their Instagram ca- Instagram caption for some reason. Maybe, I expe- maybe it's a bad thing. That's <laughs> I, well. <laughs> I expected you to get none of those right, but now I'm also I like I want to get tested on that. Yeah, damn, someone should get a podcast and get <laughs> should, me on their podcast. No one ever, honestly. Yeah, yeah pull it up. let's do it. Let's do it. All right, here's the page. Scroll back as far as you would like. Oh, we're going deep. <laughs> I see. Is our spring break silent or was it silenced? Oh, that was me and Max, and that was right after spring break last year. Let me model for you at Birkenstock. Let me see if you get the location right on this one. Oh, that was in Cary, North Carolina, and I was, at, yes, I was at my cousin's house in Cary, and I was wearing the pink shirt and the white bricks. Point, my <laughs> Alexa, play Touch the Sky. I was in Kenya, and we were on a mountain. This it was, um, I forget the name of the mountain, but yeah. You're going to get this one right. I need my Rock Nation brunch invite next year. Oh, is that me and Catherine yeah. at Club Soccer Formals? Yeah, oh, let's. Way back when. <laughs> I remember posting pictures from that too. All right, let's let's do one one more deep one. Let's see, jerseys and Legos. That was me and my brothers all wearing jerseys and Legos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this is good or bad that we are that right, right, like, right. attuned it's to our Instagram captions. <laughs> All right, and now, finally, for the Tiger Confession section. So every episode, read two Tiger Confessions. We answer them. Um, just If it's not a question, just re- respond to them in whichever way you want. Sure. First one says, I just want to have stable relationships with people I like, enough sleep, and good grades. Like, is this too much to ask for? Is this too much to ask for? I mean, it shouldn't be, right? <laughs> I, I like to think that, that, that I'm there personally, um, at least, you know, in terms of, you know, feeling stable relationships, you know, hopefully having good enough grades and 
What was the last thing? Um, uh, sleep, good sleep. grades, yeah. sleep, yeah, yeah, relationships. I think a lot of it honestly just comes down to time management. I, I, for me, any relationship is just based on good communication. Um, in, in my experience, um, however limited or extensive you may think that is, is good communication solves any issue in a relationship. And if, if it's not solved, then it's just you two aren't compatible. Um, I really do think that you know if you're sad, you need to tell them you're sad. If you know you're sad, you need to tell them you're sad. If you don't like this, you need to tell them you don't like that because they're not a mind reader. Um, you can't really expect them to be. Otherwise, sleep. I you know I try to sleep at midnight every night. I just even if I have a piece of like I'm gonna wake up early in the morning and do it because I th- I think I'm more productive that way. Um, the grades, you know, I, I I don't really think they mean as much as as they ought to. They don't. I agree. I agree. But yes, I so to answer this question, I believe. This is not too much to ask for because just to echo everything they said, I'm similar in that I don't my like cut off for sleep unless I'm like watching a sports game or something. Like I don't work past like one o'clock. Yeah. There is never any need to. I will wake up and do it the I either I do it the next morning or there will be time the next day, but I'm not gonna sacrifice my sleep just to get whatever assignment done because in the grand scheme of things, whatever assignment is not that big of a deal. And as a neuroscience major, I understand the importance of sleep. So everybody, <laughs> if there's anything I've gotten out of being a neuroscience major, which is probably the only thing, sleep. It matters. Get your 7.25 hours per night. And, yeah, don't don't sacrifice sleep for anything else. Kind of like you said, stable relationships, just good communication will lead to just everything being more more efficient and more, more effective. And good grades. You don't need the good grades as much as you think. I don't. I I don't think. Again, what I, some people get mad at me when I say this. It might be a controversial opinion. Your grades don't matter that much unless you want to go to grad school of some sort, which I guess a lot of people do. But if you don't, just get your degree. Princeton will get us by. None, none of us are going to fail out that badly. So you can get do the stable relationships and the enough sleep. The good the grades let them be what they are. Don't put grades or your little three-number GPA above any other aspect of your happiness, your fun, your mental health. So forget the grades. <laughs> and then second one, which is a funny question. I like this one. If the eating clubs got into a civil war, who would win? Who would be the first to go? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I really hope the ICC doesn't kill me. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm obliged to say that I think Kata would win um, as president. i got to believe my members. Believe my members. <laughs> I would be the first to go. <laughs> I I don't think I can answer that. <laughs> you, you, you can take a shot. At that. I will take a shot at it. As far as who would win, I gotta go. Cannon. They're like eighty-seven percent athlete, which I think was a number we actually did at that same dinner. So they're a lot of athletes. So I would pick them to 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 win. Who would go first? Probably Ivy. We're not like a we're yeah I don't in a in a civil war I don't I don't see us doing too. I don't see a lot of the Ivy members. Yeah, I don't. I don't see us doing too well. If yeah, yeah. So duck and take cover. Who would win? Cannon. Who would lose? Who would be the first to go? Probably Ivy. Um, but yeah, that's about it. This has been again another great episode. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, of course. It's been a pleasure. It's been great talking to you, Flo. Do you have any final words for the people? Um, no, I don't. Have a great you know whatever day this releases on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You can edit that. This has been another episode of Go with the Flow. Thank you for listening. <laughs>